0: Church, Welcome. I want to read to you from Psalm 9 this morning. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So, we are here to praise him, to give him joy in this house this morning. Will you worship with us this morning? Praise his name. He is so good.
1: the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. now we'll run and free. Who we have forgiven, except it, gratify his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing raise Cause we were the
0: this God I love that we can declare hallelujah to your name in the middle of the storm hallelujah when we're filled with joy hallelujah when we're battling thank you God thank you for giving us everything that we need through the power of your Holy Spirit through the truth of your word God thank you for the armor that you give us, God. We just praise you, God. We just rest in that hallelujah to your name, God. And we thank you, Lord. So church, um, we just are so grateful to him for what he has done for us. And um, just the hallelujah was just on my heart so much this this week just giving him praise he deserves our every praise our glory to his name and so as we continue our time um we have our third song just as opportunity to continue our praise and worship and um to praise him in our giving and to say thank you god and if you're part of this house um then we invite you and we ask you to give, to pour in. Um, it's not just the things that you see around you. Um, it's pouring in in all of the different opportunities that God has given us to bless and um, to be able to take care of the needs of this house. And guys, we've got some needs that are pretty great right now. And we're gonna trust in the Lord for his provision, whether that be financial, financial, whether that be in other tangible ways or whether that be in ways that we can't see or imagine right now. I'm reminded that his word says who he is. He is more than we could ask or imagine. He gives more than we could ask or imagine, but he wants us, he wants us to ask. And he tells us that. He tells us to ask him, to seek him, to knock. He wants us he pursues us, but he wants us he's a he's he's so good he again you've heard me say it because Brent keeps saying it he's invitational he's not gonna he's not gonna force you but guys you're missing out you're missing out if you if you if you don't respond to his love to you, he loves you so much and that's why he says like. All the ways that we are blessed, like it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's so backwards. His kingdom is so backwards, but he is so good. And so uh, I just encourage us. I want you to just pray with me now. God. So we give over this time to you as we just commit our tithes and offerings, God, however we give, Lord, that we, would you stretch our faith to believe for things? God, would you help us to believe for your provision, however that looks in our life, God? Would you help us to praise you, whether we're walking through a storm, whether we're walking through a big season of blessing right now, God? Would you pour out yourself? Would you pour out your comfort? Would you pour out your love, God? And would we, in turn, pour that out on each other, God, on those around us, Lord? Thank you that the gifts that come to this house are so much bigger and they go beyond just what we what we see and hear, God. They bless our community. They bless um, the church as a whole. They bless um, missions they bless things around the world God I just thank you so much I thank you that your plans are so much greater than ours and we just give this to you, we dedicate this to you God and we love you we worship you
2: I wasn't supposed to, so I don't know what's up there. So, it, well, maybe I RF mute off. Okay, how about now? Oh. It's not Brent's fault. It's not, for the record, it's not Brent's fault. Okay, are y'all ready? We have a message from, he's continuing the gospel and talking about Jesus and the importance of knowing who Jesus understanding who Jesus is so that you can understand who you are. So here's
3: Would you open your Bibles to Luke, the 24th chapter, Luke 24. Also, would you quickly welcome our Chandler and our Hugo campus that are with us today. Thank you guys for being here. We believe that It is the word of God that brings transformation. It's Jesus as he's communicated to us through the scriptures as the living word that brings transformation in our lives. And so however you receive that, we receive it uh, not because of a physical person, but because of Jesus. And if that comes to you through a screen, fantastic. It's receiving the word of God that's most important, not the speaker of the word of God. Um, My sole desire is uh, to bring glory to the name of Jesus, to lift Jesus up. Uh, He's just utterly fascinating to me. And I'm in a series on the gospel, and uh, (laughs) man, there is so much here that uh, it's in my heart to communicate. And today, the specific point that I want to to draw out is what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah and the good news of Jesus, Jesus the Christ. Um, But uh, this could potentially feel a little bit more like Bible study. So what I'm doing, what I've done, I want to thank the team that's put my notes on uh, the app. Um, There is far more to this message than what I'm able to share uh, from the platform. And so if you'll go on the app and look at the notes. I've provided over 10 pages of notes with 33 footnotes <laughs> with cross-references. If you want to dive into this subject, trust me, there's plenty to do. Uh, but I don't want to just machine gun information at you. My, my heart's desire is that we see Jesus, that we understand his message and his work, what he's done and what he's doing, and how we live faithfully to that, and um, how we as a church are formed into the image of Jesus, transformed into the image of Jesus. It's important that we see him clearly. And that's been my desire is uh, reclaiming the word gospel to the way Jesus and the apostles communicated it and defined it. Um, But to do that, I I also have a heart's desire as pastor is for us to have a, a biblical worldview and to see your Bible as a whole. And you can't deliver all of that in just like one message. Um, And so today I want to trace a thread through scripture, but, but with as much brevity as I can give it, but showing you how like our whole Bible is one unit, one story that leads to Jesus. But just to get us back into the frame of the gospel, the gospel is good news, and it's important that we rem- remember that because often when you hear the word gospel in today's culture, you're going to hear something about theology or doctrine or advice, uh, and it's one of my frustrations, I'll put it that way, um, frustrations is that we redefine words according to what we think they should be rather than what they're originally stated to us. But another frustration of mine is that many, many sermons are basically slightly spiritual TED Talks that are just giving you kind of candy corn Christianity uh, for you to just get a little, a, little, a little sweet in your mouth and then not, it not have a transformative effect on your life. And uh, I believe in the power of the word of God. I believe in the presence of the Lord Jesus and, and how, how when we know him, It transforms us, transforms the way we think, it transforms the way we see the world. What I've been captivated with as I've tried to endeavor to communicate the gospel, what I've been captivated with is this idea of the reality of the kingdom of God, because what constitutes news, and I'm kind of giving you this real briefly, and we're kind of working our way through this, what constitutes news is that it's an announcement about an event, a specific kind of event, an event that involves a king and a kingdom, That's what originally the word gospel meant, good news. It's an announcement about an event, about a king and a kingdom. And to understand the the fullness of that announcement requires at least some kind of understanding of the backstory or the context in which that event takes place. But then connected with that kind of announcement is that it, it provides a new future. There's something about the future that's changed, something about the future that's different a new future, and then in light of that new future comes a transformed present. There's something about the tran- the, the, the present moment that gets transformed in light of the past event and the future event that's going to take place. That's what the gospel being presented to us, and I'm going rather slow because I want us to have a thorough understanding of this. I really want you to get this, um, and which means I'm going to be talking about this a while, even if it's under a different series name, but... Uh, the backstory is what, uh, what I want us to, to, what I've spent a little bit more time on because uh, if we're going to understand the announcement of the event, that announcement about King Jesus, King Jesus as king and his kingdom, uh, his resurrection that vindicated him as Israel's Messiah, uh, if you're going to understand that event, you need to understand the context because when you can understand that context and that event, you're not just learning something about history. If you like history, it is historical. You are learning something about history. However, it changes the way you see the future and the present. And so it's that that specific context that I I want us to, to see because I want you to hear the gospel as the good news, not just good advice. Advice might be helpful, but not transformative. And the gospel transforms um, what is communicated to us in the New Testament is that it is the power of God unto salvation. It, it, it's what transforms us. The good news being delivered to us transforms us. And so last week I looked at the concluding, uh, the concluding verse. Well, let me just one more time define gospel for you as we've built it up to this point. The gospel is the full story of Jesus. Remember, you're telling the story of Jesus, not just theological truths about Jesus. The gospel is the full story of Jesus, and it is the availability to everyone of living right now in the reality of the kingdom of God as he did. And how do you live in that reality as he did? Well, you do that through trusting and following him as king. That's what the gospel is. It's the full story of Jesus, and it's the availability of living right now in the reality of the kingdom of God. There is another reality that Jesus communicates to us, and he lived inside that reality, he lived from that reality. And it's somehow different than this reality that we experience with our five physical senses. And he calls us by the prayer he gives us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's something about the reality of the kingdom of God that wants to transform this reality. And it's available to everyone right now. Well, how how do you access that reality? How do you live in that reality? How do you become aware of that reality? Well, you have to trust Jesus. And you gotta follow him. The gospel brings the necessity for discipleship. Peter concludes his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, that's what I looked at last week, him being king or Lord, and Christ. That's what we're gonna look at this week. This Jesus whom you crucified. It's the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus The the apostle Peter preached as the gospel. Jesus' life was marked by announcing and enacting the kingdom of God. His death and resurrection vindicated him as God's anointed king or the Messiah and he ascended to the heavenly throne at the right hand of God where he is Lord of all. That's the good news. That's the good news that Jesus is in charge and he rules the world. And we're called to trust him and believe in him. Well, this word Christ Is not a really commonly understood word. Um, Many people hear it, and if you say Jesus Christ, often it comes as a swear word (laughs) in today's culture. But even just hear it in a Christian context, we think of it almost the way our brains work with first and last name. We hear it as Jesus' last name, that that Jesus' last name was Christ. He was born to Joseph and Mary Christ. Uh, And that's not the case at all. It's not the case at all. It's not that way at all. Christ uh, is an a English transliteration of a Greek word, Christos, which is an interpretation or a translation of a Hebrew word, Mashiach, which we transliterate to English as Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. And it means a divinely appointed or a divinely anointed person. Someone who's been anointed, anointed specifically by God and that word messiah came became a way of talking about a future deliverer and savior who would rescue God's people Israel and look at how these hopes get built up inside of the people of Israel and there's this one story in Luke 24 after the resurrection it's one of my favorite stories and we can't go like line by line on this but but what i want you to hear is how Jesus's disciples understood the role of Messiah. And then in their understanding of the role of Messiah, the, 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 the Savior of Israel who would rescue Israel, how they, how they imagined the Messiah would work would be through conquering Rome, their foreign oppressors, and set them free as a king. That's how they understood the Messiah, that would, he would uh, um, liberate Israel by removing the foreign occupied, ocupa, occupation, the powers of Rome in that case, by defeating them, usually by military conquest. And, and there's much to that, just about 100, 150 years earlier, uh, there was, there was a, a, a Jewish liberation movement led by the Hammers. Uh, you know them as the Maccabees. Uh, Judah the hammer, Judah Maccabees, uh, defeated the, the armies that were currently occupying uh, Israel at that time, Jerusalem, and set them free for about 20 years. And then they got oppressed again. And so the first century Jews' imagination of the Savior of Israel, the Messiah, would be a conquering king. And so the idea that the conquering king would be crucified by the powers was incoherent to them. They didn't get it. And I want you to see that as they're walking along. You've got two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And this is just fantastic. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus shows up walking with them. And they can't see him for who he is. He's not like a ghost or anything. He's the resurrected Jesus. He's in a body. He's walking with them. And verse 17, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They're talking about all the things that had happened to Jesus being crucified. And he's just like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And then this is this. They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. And then Jesus, this is fantastic. (laughs) What things? (laughs) Jesus asked. And then they replied, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. And then look at this. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. Man, we had our hopes in this guy. And he let us down. <laughs> and this all happened about three days ago. Then, this weird stuff happens. There's some woman, some women from our group... Of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Then some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, You idiots. That's an accurate interpretation of what that is. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Apparently, Jesus would read his Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, And he could see clearly that from from Genesis to Chronicles, uh, Chronicles was the last book of the Hebrew Bible, which same, same books as our Old Testament. He'd look at his Old Testament and he could see clearly that the one who would rescue Israel, known as the Anointed One or the Messiah, would have to suffer and die. He could see it clearly and apparently no one else could. They had these hopes that he would be this conquering king. The way they read the scriptures is that a king would come and defeat the foreign occupation. And Jesus was crucified, and so they couldn't see it. And he called them stupid. (laughs) And so I read that and think, I don't want to be stupid. I don't know about you. You might be okay with it. I'm not, uh, and I don't want to be a church that is foolish and stupid, and we put our hopes in what we imagine Jesus to be rather than who he actually is, what maybe culture has said Jesus is, because Jesus is a popular figure. If you, if you like remove most of what he says, he's a likable guy. You just have to take out a significant amount of the words in red. Because he's offensive as well. I mean, he just calls two of his disciples stupid. I'm just saying, like that's apparently within the realm. Anyway, i just... Okay, so, so what I, what I want to do is I want to take you through from the beginning not go verse by verse but i want to layer very quickly a few layers of how jesus builds this whole story is leading up to this that the messiah would have to die and that he would be raised on the third day and you have to go from the beginning onward and if you want to go deep into this i have a significant amount of notes with lots of cross references if you want to dive deep if you want to get into the notes on the app or um, you can go back to a series I did uh, about a year ago on the story that leads to Jesus, where I do summarize the Old Testament and show how it is the whole one story that leads to Jesus in much more detail. So I'm gonna give you in just a few minutes what took six hours to do before. Um, but, I, but I wanna layer this very specifically to to tie a thread together to show you this one thread that when Jesus says, he, when it says that Jesus took them through all the scriptures to show them that the, from Moses and all the prophets that the Messiah had to die, I want to show you that. Okay, it begins in the garden, like everything. Your whole Bible's in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If you just immerse yourself in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 continually, then you're immersing yourself in the whole of Scripture because all of Scripture is contained in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's where it begins. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the garden is where it's going to end, a city garden in Revelation 21 and 22. It's where we began. It's where we'll end. So the more you understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the more you understand about your Bible. Now, Again, real quickly, God creates a good world and he appoints his images in the world to rule, to represent his character and rule on his behalf. They get a decision as to how they will execute that rule. All humans made in the image of God are given a decision. How will they execute that rule? Will they trust God's wisdom and his definition of good and evil represented to to us by the tree of life? Or will they seize that control, that knowledge for themselves, define good and evil on their own terms? Genesis 3, there's a talking snake. (laughs) If the scriptures just don't confuse you, then you're not reading the same scriptures. There's a talking snake on page three of the Bible. But the snake, this serpent, tells a different story about the tree. That if you will take that knowledge for yourself, God is holding out on you. He deceives them and manipulates the truth with half-truths. And he says, that he tells a different story about the tree, that you will be like God. You take control Of defining good and evil for yourself. You seize that wisdom for yourself. You will be like God. And uh, that's what they do. They seize that control for themselves. And it it breaks God's heart. Um, God's first response was not wrath. It was heartbreak. Um, He was heartbroken by this. And so uh, at... As he pronounces the judgment uh, or the consequences, it's, it, we, often we call it the curse. Well, here's the deal. God cursed the ground and he cursed the serpent. He did not curse the humans. Now, to try to tie that full circle real quick, our bodies are made from the ground, the dust of the earth. And so our bodies have a participation in the curse. That's why we physically die. Um, but humans were not cursed. And I want to read to you this curse, this judgment over the serpent. This is the key, okay? So we'll move faster through the rest of this, but this is where the key is. Is in Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, makes perfect sense, right? (laughs) This is the way your scriptures are written. It's cryptic, it's odd, it's confusing, and you just kind of got to dig into it. Okay, real quick. You start seeing now there's going to be two lines of offspring. There is going to be an offspring of the serpent and an offspring of woman. Offspring is the keyword, it's the hyperlink here that's gonna tie the whole threads together. It's the Hebrew word zira, it's used very commonly, but when it is used, you have to pay attention to how it is used, because what what you're looking at is there will one day be a offspring, and in some of your translations, the word seed, there's a seed of woman that will come and strike the head of the serpent. Meaning, cut, e- okay, so this serpent you you start to see is is a a creature made by God but is in rebellion and trying to lead all of humanity in that rebellion. And and somehow this this serpent is the root cause of all evil in the world. And so when you when when we look at the world and we see all sorts of evil and injustice the scripture's way of of finding its origin is here. It's it's this serpent manipulating humans to be a God unto themselves and rebel against God's authority. And that's like the cause of evil in this world. It, it, that's the scripture's way of communicating that. That's sin. That's what sin is called. Um, and so this, this manipulation of the humans causing all sorts of evil and havoc, there's going to be a offspring, a seed that's going to come that is going to cut the evil off at its head going to crush be a snake crusher but it will be at the cost of his life a wounded victor a victor yes but a wounded victor <laughs> yeah you all of us saw that clearly right But that's what's being presented to us. Okay, so now you're looking for an offspring. And you look, the very next generation, she thinks, okay, this is my seed. This is my offspring, Cain. He's going to be the one to defeat evil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you see how evil conquers him. And what the scriptures do is they tell you generation after generation of the serpent winning. And no offspring being able to cut off its head or strike his head. Then you fast forward to God calling Abraham, and in Genesis 22, after an act of obedience and trust, God pronounces, he he pronounces his promise. I'm gonna layer this this idea here that, that I put on the screen, that the snake crusher. You're looking for the snake crusher, and so the first place you see the snake crusher, Genesis 3.15, the wounded victor who will be an offspring of woman, okay? Then Genesis 22, you see Abraham And God blesses Abraham by saying in verse 17 and 18, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring, your seed, shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So, so this snake crusher, this wounded victor, as an offspring of woman, will also be a offspring of Abraham or from the family of Abraham. This one offspring we're looking for is going to come from the family of Abraham. That's, so, so as you're reading the story and you've gotten from Genesis 3 and you're losing a lot of hope in humanity, you get to Genesis 12 and there's a new guy that God calls Abram and you're like, hopes are high and then this guy is also making a bunch of stupid mistakes. But he got this one thing right. He trusted God this one time and God pronounced this blessing on him. You fast forward through his family and you get to his really messed up family. You get to one of his great grandsons, Judah, and God pronounces that blessing on him. Then you fast forward, a lot of fast forward through the whole story, and you get to a king from the line of Judah in the family of Abraham in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at this. This is God's covenant with King David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring or seed after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Pause for just a second. Okay. So, David in his story The way the scriptures tell the story of David is setting you up to try to see him as a potential snake crusher, okay? To the point where when you look at the the story of David and Goliath, there's even this really weird detail of Goliath, his armor being like scales. And David cuts off his head. Like, come on, like, like it might be subtle, but this is how the scriptures are presented. So you think this is the guy, you think this is the snake crusher. And then God says, it's not you, but it will be a seed or offspring from your family, from your line. Look at the next verse. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish his the throne of his kingdom Forever. So this snake crusher will be a king from the line of David who God will establish that king and his throne and kingdom forever. And then the first half of verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Hold that for just a second. Okay, so this snake crusher that's gonna defeat evil at its source, wounded victor, that's an offspring of woman, who's in the family of Abraham who's also will be known as a son of David in the line of David okay then you look down all of David's line all the kings that follow from the line of David and these guys are chumps <laughs> they you like you got this tiny little bit of hope in Solomon who's supposed to be the wisest person but the dude has 700 wives 300, because 700 is not enough. 300 concubines. Basically, what Solomon does is he rebuilds Egypt. He institutes slave labor. He brings high taxes. And what you thought would be, he, he, he breaks every single, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17, you give this, this is not even in the footnotes. Here's extra material for you. <laughs> Deuteronomy 17 Moses gives you all the commandments that the king of Israel is supposed to follow. Solomon breaks every single one of them. Every single one of them. And it just only gets worse after him. They go after money, sex, power, military might, and they just run Israel into the ground. 500 years under their line. But the hope for a king... From the line of David is kept alive through their prayers and their psalms, Psalm 2 being the epitome of it. I'm going to read eight verses from Psalm 2 to see how this image is getting formed of this Messiah, this king that's going to come to be the snake crusher. Verse 1 of Psalm 2 Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So do you see the nations, the peoples, the kings and the rulers, okay, all of them. The rulers take counsel together against Yahweh, the Lord, that's all caps, Yahweh and his anointed, his Mashiach, his Messiah, his anointed one. So, 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 so all this image we're, we're getting built up of the snake crusher, is God's anointed one. And the rulers, the kings, the peoples, the nations are resisting Yahweh and his anointed king saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So how does God receive and perceive the rebellion of all the nations? He who sits in the heavens laughs. He gets a good old chuckle out of all their rebellion. Not because he thinks evil and sin is no big deal, but because he's God. (laughs) Like, they're they're of no real resistance. The, The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king... So this anointed one will be a God-ordained king. My king on Zion, my holy hill. So, Zion, Jerusalem. So, God will elevate this king from the line of David as his own king, establish his king, his kingdom forever. And it will be God's anointed one. And then look at what he says. I will tell of the decree. This is then the voice of the Messiah. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So, the snake crusher who's the wounded victor, offspring of woman. In the family of Abraham, a son of David will also be known as the son of God. This is what the Messiah, the anointed one, will be. And they're looking for this anointed king because when this anointed king comes, he won't just be king of Israel, God will make all the nations his heritage. He will be the king of Israel and the king of the world. The whole world that's been resisting, who's who's been plotting with the serpent, This king, this Messiah, will be the anointed king from God over the whole world. That's how he'll defeat evil from its source, is he'll be in charge of everyone. And so they're looking for this king from the line of David, because if he comes, then he'll be king of the world and be able to defeat evil. And then they go into exile, and the, fa- the, the king from the line of David, his lineage was murdered in front of them. So it looks like the line of David has been cut off for hundreds of years. Hundreds, plural, hundreds of years. But there's this crazy group of people called the prophets that just kept adamantly saying, there will be this king come. Isaiah, at the foremost prophet, is speaking about this king that's coming from the line of David, Isaiah 9, that uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This is a very popular Advent scripture reference, is speaking from the line of David. Isaiah 40 to 55 is poems about the servant, that God's servant will will come and will be, Will obey the Lord on behalf of Israel, will be the one who fulfills all these promises. But then you get to Isaiah 53, and this particular servant, this Messiah, something is said about this Messiah. Isaiah 53, look at verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That doesn't seem like a popular king. So why is this guy, God's servant, that's supposed to be God's king, God's anointed to rule the world, why is he rejected and despised? We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So remember, he's the wounded victor. To cut evil off at its source will be at the cost of his life. Whose evil, though, does he take and is wounded by? Ours. The way in which he's going to cut evil off at its source is to take evil into himself. Not because of his own evil, but because of humanity's evil. How is he going to cut off the head of the snake? He's going to take all the ways we have aligned ourselves with the serpent. All the evil we've committed. He's going to bear it on behalf of his people. And it's going to kill him. Our evil is what's going to kill him. He was pierced and crushed for our evil and he will die. But that's not the end of the poem. Look at verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, offspring, That's the key word we've been looking for offspring. He will have many offspring. He will enjoy a long life. Hang on, I thought the guy died. But he's back somehow. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, a wounded victor, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and intercedes for rebels. So, this snake crusher, the wounded victor, offspring of woman from the family of Abraham, a son of David, known as the Son of God, is also God's suffering servant. This will be God's anointed king. The Messiah has to die because all humans have given themselves over to the serpent all humans have become rebels and humans have been unable to defeat evil. At best, we've just passively gone along with evil. At worst, we've extended the evil. We have been the rebels. We have been the ones who's reached for the wrong tree. Human after human after human after human, generation after generation after generation after generation, we could not do it for ourselves. We needed a savior We needed a Messiah. And not just some random person. We needed God's anointed one. God's anointed king. That this king would defeat evil by taking the evil for himself. All of Israel's sin, all of humanity's sin, he would die the death for. And that's how he would defeat the evil. And it's going to cost him his life. But then he's going to come back. How weird is that? <laughs> and this is how the Gospels are presenting Jesus to us. Just look, at, just look at two Gospel beginning. Remember, I've just tried to emphasize the Gospel is the story of Jesus and it's the whole story of Jesus. There's four accounts of his life. The Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel. Look at how the Gospel of Matthew. In our New Testament, these are the first words of the New Testament. Matthew 1 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. A descendant, an offspring of David and of Abraham. They're they're just wink, wink, wink. This is the guy. (laughs) Look at what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, offspring of woman. You, woman, will, <laughs> there is no seed of woman. There's a seed of man that goes into a woman. So to even fulfill that one, you kind of have to bypass a whole lot of nature. And God does. You will conceive and And give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus or salvation. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The son of God. Psalm 2, son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The whole story has been building up to see Jesus, the wounded victor, who's going to defeat evil at its source, at the cost of his own life. He's got to come from the family of Abraham, got to be in the line of David, and this one anointed Messiah will be known as the Son of God. But this Son of God will also have to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. That's God's anointed king. And the Gospels are saying, this is Jesus This is Jesus to us. I got so many notes in the the notes. You're just gonna have to look at the whole life of Jesus. Jesus overcomes the temptations in the wilderness of the serpent in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. Jesus announces and acts God's kingdom on earth. He's announcing God's goodness is here, healing the sick, cleansing the leper, liberating people from slavery to evil and death. Jesus predicts his own death and suffering but he also predicts his ultimate victory in resurrection. And so in resurrection, his, his resurrection robbed the serpent of its power over humanity and now has ultimate cosmic authority, the power of evil and death, over evil and death himself. And so this is, this is the way the gospel is presented to us and we're gonna look back at Acts chapter two. Jesus of Nazareth, In his suffering and death was God's suffering servant, becoming the wounded victor, defeating sin, evil, and death. And his resurrection vindicated him as God's anointed king and his ascension positioned him with ultimate cosmic authority, not just now, but forever. Forever he's in charge of the universe. I just, I want to get to something, so I'm going to skip Acts chapter two, you can go back over Peter's sermon and reread his sermon on the day of Pentecost in light of this. Remember his closing statement. God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Messiah. That's his announcement is Jesus is this. But I wanna talk about, before I close, why this matters to us. Because like, great, great for him. Um, But there's still evil in the world. (laughs) And why do I still have a temptation towards evil? And this is where Jesus' death and resurrection is a good announcement for us, that he's in charge, he's king, and has a kingdom, and you and I become citizens of this kingdom. His death is our death, okay? Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The way the apostle Paul imagines the death and resurrection of Jesus, he says, I have been crucified with the Messiah, now, because just something I'm mentally working on, okay? Because Christ, we, we might lose, I, do, I have a temptation to lose the, the longstanding historic depth to that word. And so for my own brain, when I read Christ, remember it's a title and a vocation. And so I read the Messiah, same thing. But it, 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 the, the word sounds different in my ears and in my brain so that I can see this whole vocation that's being presented to us. I have been crucified with the Messiah, the one who took evil on my behalf. I was crucified with him. When he was crucified, I died with him. It is no longer I who live, but it's the Messiah who lives in me. So the snake crusher isn't just on the cross, in the grave, and at the throne, He's in me. I went to the cross, into the grave, and I've been ascended to the throne with him. I, crucified with Christ, now it's not, no longer I who live, but it's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by trusting in the Son of God, which became a bit of a double entendre. It's not primarily talking about his divinity. It does include that but it's talking about the the anointed son of God, king from Psalm 2. And now I don't live on my own for myself. I live by trusting in the snake crusher who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me to not be crushed by the snake, so he was crushed by evil and by be, by being crushed by evil overcame evil. Now the snake crusher lives in me and I live now crushing the snake because the snake crusher's in me. So his power over sin, death, the devil and evil isn't just a statement about him. It's now available for you and I as we live in him and him in us. So for him to be Lord and Christ, for us to honor him as king and Lord, and the anointed snake crusher is to take my life into his life, and his life transformed my life that the snake crusher now lives through me. So me overcoming sin and evil and death is not about me, it's about who's in me. That's better news than just where I get to go when I die. That's good too, it's okay. But like I don't want evil to win today. And so now the snake crushers in us to confront the evil of our day. To overcome sin's temptation is one level and we need to grow and mature in overcoming temptation and evil at a personal level but this is why we're also to confront evil beyond that. Okay. James chapter four. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves to God. Come under the authority of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You have no power and authority over the devil. Only in that the snake crushers on the inside of you. With that, he has ultimate authority over sin and evil. And so the authority you and I stand in is not our own. It's the Messiah who lives in me. Who lives in you the snake crusher who lives in you. And we're to live with that kind of victory. And not everything's gonna go your way. There's gonna be a whole lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. This is where the new future emerges that we'll talk about later to understand about our future that then transforms our present. But the way we live in the present is continually identifying ourselves not in our own strength and ability, but by the snake crusher that lives in us, that has already defeated sin and evil and the devil. And now I stand in his authority and in his victory. And the the story is going to keep moving as Romans chapter 16, verse 20, one of the last statements the Apostle Paul makes in Romans, he says, the God of peace will soon crush the adversary, Satan, the hostile one, the adversary, the accuser. The God of peace will soon crush the Satan." Under whose feet? Under your feet. He's already crushed his head and it cost him his life. But he gives that power and authority to us to crush the serpent. The authority and power to crush the serpent when unforgiveness starts to tempt you and creep into your heart. You have the power and authority to crush the head of the serpent. When anxiety or fear begins to try to leech onto our minds. Or depression tries to sink its talons into our minds. You're dead. And your life is the snake crushers. And he's inside of you. And fear and anxiety and depression has no authority over the snake crusher. When sickness and disease tries to creep into our bodies, this body is not mine. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. The snake crusher lives inside this body. And there's a lot we don't understand. There's a lot right now in my conclusion that I'm already over time, can't make sense of. This is part of belonging to a church. We're in it for the long haul to work through it together all the questions and unknowns and what ifs and whatabouts and buts, all that kind of stuff. But it at least need you to see the truth that the good news isn't just a theology. This is, this is real world discipleship where we learn to let the snake crusher have authority in our life, to live his life through ours and continue to crush the head of the serpent. And that's why the response to the gospel should always be to repent and believe the reality of the kingdom of god is here and present right now the reality of the snake crusher is on the inside of you if you've surrendered your life to jesus but we live a life of continue to repent realign our thinking to the reality of the kingdom of god and trust in the snake crusher who lives in me and this is the jesus that's constantly being preached to us through the gospels and through the book of acts constantly presented to us and that we you and i follow we live under the authority of the Master, King Jesus, who's the snake crushing King, God's anointed one. And He isn't just somewhere else, He's here over our lives, over our bodies, over our families, over our marriages, over our children, over our communities and our neighborhoods and our businesses. The snake crushing King is present in you to continue to remind the devil his head is crushed. And he has no power and authority over our lives. That's good news. That's real good news. I receive that as good news. Amen. Amen. (sighs) Heavenly Father, I pray we continually live in the reality of the kingdom that you have made available to us in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, thank you. May our hearts ever be in a posture of humble gratitude, thanking you for what you've done for us, that you took our sin, you took our infirmity, you took our evil, you took our rebellion, and you stood in the gap for us and took it all into yourself. And I just, Lord, I pray. Jesus, By your spirit, open our eyes to see you, the snake crusher. Open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, to see your kingdom, to see your reality. When the reality of our flesh seems to be the most prominent, dominant thing we see in broken relationships, broken bodies, broken societies and cultures, when that's the reality we see the most, transform our eyes to see the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of King Jesus, the reality of the snake crusher and a defeated enemy, that we can walk in that victory as we live as disciples of you. And I pray we're called to that elevated discipleship one of victory in crushing the head of the serpent continually every day every single day of our lives may we be a church that defeats evil and pushes evil back as we advance the kingdom of God that we don't just pray but we live in such a way to be the answer to the prayer your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your righteousness peace and joy come your dominion come And your desires and your plans and your pleasures be fulfilled in us and through us as it is in heaven. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Pastor Jacob called me this morning. He said, don't freak out when you see the notes. There's nine pages with 30 footnotes and 29 personal comments that he makes in the sidebar along the deal. So if you, I I think... just got them posted on our, well she, okay speak to me if you'd like a copy of the notes Um, because I want you to have those and he has a whole page of uh, scripture all through the Bible on how to dig deeper Um, it's important to know how from page one in your Bible to page 974 in your Bible, everything is all connected. It would have been, I mean, and when I think about that, how there's a um, hundred writers or something like that, and all these uh, 66 books and uh, written over hundreds of years, impossible for human hands to put it together, for it, for it all to be connected. And, and all of this done in a time when there was no internet and you couldn't look it back at what other people had done. But the, the, the story of Jesus is from page one to page page 974. The same story all the way through it's a story that the Holy Spirit has inspired writers uh, the telling of it all the way through um, Dale did such a great job in January when he talked about the law of sowing and reaping and how it went from the beginning G- Genesis all the way through to the end of the New Testament um, uh, God's word is consistent all the way I've been studying it for over 50 years and I've never found anything that wasn't consistent nothing Um, and I want to encourage you in that, that that we come to an understanding not just so we're smarter not so we can win at jeopardy but so we can that understanding can inform how we are with others and how we be Jesus every single day so I want to encourage you uh, and and pray for us right now. Remember Ryan and Angie as they travel, not this week, but the next week um, to his father's funeral, um, just that they'd be supported spiritually and that they would know the peace of God. Let's just pray right now. Father, that's our prayer for our brother and sister this morning that they would, in Jesus' name, know supernatural peace. This sudden loss without the opportunity to to say goodbyes and things like that is so hard on a person. But I pray that he would know the supernatural peace that only you can give in, in times of such great loss just this peace is just there totally unexplainable that's my prayer for them and as they travel that you'll you'll watch over them as we all go and leave this place today leave this family gathering to go out into the world and, and be who we are every single day I pray that that would be infused with a Jesus That who we are is infused with Jesus in such a way that it impacts everybody that we come come in contact with. Thank you for this week that we've had of of spring break. And I pray that you'd be preparing us with good sleep tonight as, as young people go back to school. And just bless them in all that they do. Bless us to be a blessing to others in Jesus' name.